So it seems that we are going live uh, now. Yep. So let's just uh, wait that the community joins and we are live uh, welcoming to everybody, the Skillet Valley uh, community. Uh, welcome to the Skillet Valley uh, podcast. This is the podcast where we host the best tech leaders across the world, the ones who are scaling businesses from 1 million to 100 million uh, in, in revenues. And kind of reminding the numbers, there is only 4% of all businesses who surpass the 1 million in, in, in revenues. Uh, 0.4% the 10 million and 0.04% the 100 million and which shows how difficult it is. And on top of that, in a venture backed business, you need to do this in five to seven or seven to 10 years in terms of world-class standards. And yeah, that's a explosive combination of stress, excitement, ambition. Uh, and today with us, we have the pleasure of hosting Igor Bolzanin, the CEO uh, at, of DataSign. Data uh, Igor, thank you so much for joining us. Really a pleasure. Uh, thank you for having me, Mike. Uh, it's great to be here and hello everybody. That's perfect. And uh, yeah, let, let's start by getting to know a little bit more uh, about yourself. So what were you doing before starting DataSign and then just do the bridge with why DataSign and uh, how the idea came. Sure. Uh, so my background is, uh, so I was born in Ukraine, grew up in Canada. And um, once I graduated from, from the university there, I did a master's in public administration. I worked for five years in international development. And uh, that took me all over the world. So I lived in, in Germany, India, US. Uh, and um, I realized at one point that I really didn't enjoy uh, doing that. I didn't enjoy um, the international development, consulting, that whole industry just wasn't for me. Uh, although on paper, it sounded fantastic. Uh, and the other thing I realized is that I didn't really want to work for anybody. I didn't really want to um, ever kind of go back and have a boss uh, in a conventional sense. Right. And so I thought, Driver. yeah, yeah, kind of. And then so I thought, well, what can I do? Um, what, what is it that I want to do? And I realized the one thing that I've always enjoyed reading and studying um, on my own um, outside of school or, or any kind of education was psychology. And so I applied uh, to a university here in London uh, to do a PhD in psychology. And um, I actually found a professor. I spoke to her and then kind of applied and, and got in. And so I moved to London just about five years ago to do a PhD in psychology. And once I started that, um, I always had this desire to, um, to, to, do, to create a business. I wasn't sure what exactly I would do my business in, um, but I knew that I, that's probably what I would want to do. And so I started talking to random people. I just started talking to people and telling them, you know, I want to start a company, I want to do something. And uh, eventually met uh, another person who also said, well, I also been thinking I'm quitting my job at a bank and I'm also thinking about starting a company. Uh, why, uh, why don't we do something together? And so that's how uh, data sign as a company was born. Um, and uh, uh, initially we thought uh, we had a, he had some connections in the bank. So we went and pitched this idea of using AI and psychology together um, to a bank and the bank uh, in question said, yeah, this is amazing. 
um, you guys should start a company. And so we spent the week creating the name um, and then two weeks putting together some sort of a demo, um, a pre wow. presentation. And then when we came back three weeks later, the guy said, oh, sorry, uh, we already moved on. There's other priorities at a bank. Oh, um, and then that's when we realized that this is going to be harder than, than we thought. <laughs> right. And so that's how it started. And by the way, you're, um, so you are two founders and... Uh, so today more. there are four of us. Uh, so wow. the original founder has actually left. So I have three co-founders um, right. uh, that, that we run the company with. Got it, got it. And, and initially when you were doing this first uh, demo, uh, it was, what was the background of another um, co-founder? So had... the, the, his background was in banking. Um, and but he not worked... tech, so you didn't no. have any tech background. So neither was neither one of us had a tech background. That was the point that I was trying to get. And and uh, and what ended up happening is we were, um, as a, as I call it, the phase of we were looking for a CTO um, right. for like a year and a half. Um, right. at a, and while looking for a CTO, we realized that actually we just have to start kind of building the product. Um, and um, my, the, the PhD in psychology, there is quite a bit of programming that ends up happening um, that you learn. And so based on kind of some of the languages that I was learning during the PhD, I moved to Python. We decided to use Python for pretty much everything for development. So I, I had to create the first algorithm myself um, and the first code was written by me. Um, and that's just kind of to get the ball rolling. And then we had other people who joined the company uh, later on to help us. Got it. Sounds perfect. And um, yeah, it would be great uh, getting your story, which is uh, quite amazing and inspiring to get to know a little bit more about data science. So yeah. uh, what is the kind of the elevator pitch? What, what data science does? Sure. So what we do is uh, we help businesses uh, better communicate with their customers. And what that means is we look at um, all your historic send outs. So all the engagements that, um, that a business has generated with customers. Uh, so Facebook um, ads, uh, emails that they've sent out, uh, and then we look at the engagement. So click rates, open rates of that different content. Uh, we analyze the actual messages that are sent out. We look at how engaging they are, and we provide a platform for uh, marketers, CRM managers to actually uh, make the next, rec uh, the next message better. Um, and so we actually provide them inline recommendations. So replace this image with this image because it will perform better. This sentence is too long, make another um, sentence. Uh, replace this word with another word. And so our company, we really specialize on content itself um, more, than, more than anything. Got it. Sounds amazing. And, uh, and in terms of, uh, just give us a little bit of an overview about the stage of the company. So uh, our in terms of ad count, what, what is the size of the company? So we, um, so we raised our Series A um, in January of this year. Uh, that was about a four million pound round. Um, we are now 21 or 22 people. Um, and uh, we have about uh, seven or eight uh, large enterprise customers. Uh, and then we have, we've just about to launch a SaaS version of our platform. We already have... Um, maybe 150 to 300 users on that um, beta testing it um, or alpha testing it. And then we'll be launching a beta version of that shortly. Got it. And, and in, in that sense, uh, is this a movement from enterprise to SMB and uh, keeping serving both segments or 
uh, or is it a pivot to focus more uh, your efforts on SMB? So it, what it is, is, is a move, um, and this has been a gradual move for us as the company has evolved. It's really a move from um, kind of bespoke uh, consulting-like projects to more of a standardized SaaS solution. And what Got we realized it. about a year ago um, is that actually what, we, what we're building um, can be uh, eventually made into a, a single SaaS platform that everybody can integrate with and um, we can actually use the data of any business and build out those integrations and plugins with other platforms like MailChimp or Facebook, um, which then means every, everybody can be serviced um, kind of on the SaaS level. Uh, and, and so that, that's, that's where the focus has been shifting. Uh, that being said, uh, we still we engage a lot with enterprises and um, our biggest customers are still enterprises. Um, but eventually we see, you know, we plan on over the next two years um, to have a fully um, online platform for them as well. Got it. So which means that you will keep serving both segments, but this is much more an effort to go from a bespoke, as you said, model or a service-based model to a product-based model. Uh, I think the product is, is the main core of the, of the business, business model of the company. That's right. That's right. So you've put it quite well. <laughs> okay, cool. Sounds good. And uh, yeah, so let, let me just also plug in again our our audience. Uh, as we know, we always discuss the Rockefeller habits in every single show, just giving context to the ones who are listening for the first time. So the Rockefeller habits were uh, kind of certain fundamentals, rules, habits um, invented or put it together by John Rockefeller, one of the most successful businessmen in the history of the United States. Yesterday was the Independence Day, so it's good to talk about the, the, the US. And he believes that these were some of the habits that made him so successful. We will not cover the 10 habits, uh, but we will try to plug in in our conversation some of those habits. And starting with a topic that everyone now um, talks about, which is the, um, the OKRs. So, and the relationship with the Rockefeller habits are the, the Rockefeller habit number two. It's about how do we ensure that all the team is focused in just one single priority for the quarter. So everyone is focused from marketing to product, to sales, to engineering, to customer success. And this is about defining the OKRs for the company and then uh, cascading it to, or, or doing the exercise bottom-up. I, I prefer the, the expression um, to serve the company or how we can influence the results of, of the company. So how is your process about putting together what would be your main strategic uh, goals or focus or OKRs for, for the next quarter? Are you doing it by quarter or by, uh, by year? So how, how does it work in your context? Yeah, so it's, it, we actually had just gone through this exercise. Um, so um, what we decided to do is, is to create a so-called so North Star KPI. Um, so what is the one KPI that would make us great um, in the next, you know, what, so, so first we looked at the problem that we're trying to solve as a company right now. So um, where, where are we and, and what do we need to achieve? And we realized that actually the main challenge that we have at the moment is achieving the product market fit um, and, then, and then scaling. So what is product market fit? And we tried to break that down and we thought what would be the one KPI that would indicate to us that we've actually achieved it. 
Um, and it took a while, uh, you know, it, and we have, we looked at other companies, how they define it. So whether it's Facebook that looks at number of uh, minutes or hours you spend on Facebook or um, Amazon number of products that you buy. Um, for us, it was uh, the amount of value that we generate um, for our customers. So we did, we, so that's the one KPI that we thought if we can maximize the, the amount of value that we generate, then we're succeeding. And so how do you define value? Um, and it came down to, to kind of four parameters. So it came down to the number of customers that we have. So obviously the more customers that we have, the more value we're able to generate. The second is how effective is our solution to them? So how much time is it saving? Or in our case, um, what kind of uplift are our customers achieving? And so the more uplift that they're seeing by using us, the more value that we're generating. Um, and, and then uh, we looked at um, kind of how, how much do they spend um, on us and how much do they spend on the platforms that we are integrating with. And so obviously the more our, custo our customers are spending, the more uplift they're getting, the more of them there are, the more value we're generating. And so we looked at kind of across the board and those were the, the main KPIs. Um, and then we said, okay, who is responsible for what? Which part of the business can drive which of these? What we then realized is actually um, multiple units would be responsible for driving um, all of them. Uh, so there wasn't, so it, it can't be the job of sales to get more customers and that's it, right? Um, it, it, it just doesn't work. And that was actually quite helpful because then it, it builds a framework where multiple departments are aligned towards a single goal, realizing that, okay, it's not just about um, number of customers generated by, by sales or number of customers generated by marketing. It's also how can product help in getting more customers by building more features. And so uh, same thing with effectiveness. So yes, you can say it's a data science problem of becoming, getting the algorithms to be more effective, but actually if the sales or marketing teams are not getting the right customers that are not able to take advantage of the platform, right. then the value you're generating is, not, is also not there. And so actually it's the job of sales and marketing to qualify and make sure that we're getting the right clients who can then actually be helped by the, by the product. And so that's the actually exercise we went through. We have um, we had this kind of North Star KPI, which is the total value generated. We broke it down into several kind of sub KPIs, assigned those to different departments, and then we report on them every week. So every Friday evening, um, each manager of a department goes in and enters their numbers. Um, so this is actually the second week that we'll be doing that. Um, and, um, and, and then that helps us and align. It's all company or just managers or ads? Uh, how, how does it work? So the North Star KPI was presented to everybody. Um, and uh, so um, as, as we're finishing it, so uh, we part of that was actually creating definitions for them. So for example, you know, what is a customer, right? Uh, is it a paying customer? Should they be paying a certain amount? Um, you know, if they become no longer a customer, when do they, when do they go from active to inactive? How many, how many actions should they be doing on the platform every month for them to be considered active or inactive? Um, and so we defined that across the whole company to make sure that everybody's clear what a, what a, what an active customer is, what is an active customer. Um, and then it's up to the managers to report on the actual KPIs, uh, every week. Got it. Uh, sounds sounds great, and we were getting, of course, to the part and and should, uh, coming back to the to the to the OKRs. So, are you defining it or 
reviewing it, revising it every quarter, or you keep this North Star for the midterm? So the, uh, the way we did this, our North Star is reflective of the phase that we're in. Um, so at the moment, it's important for us to feel that we're achieving the, the, the phase, the product market fit. Ultimately, that's the main thing. So um, as we start to feel that we're achieving that, then it becomes, okay, well, what is the next problem that the company is facing? And I would imagine that would be growth. Um, so let's say um, all of a sudden it becomes uh, important to understand um, how quickly can we grow? And so we would probably do the same exercise again because the KPI, the North Star KPI, the, the North Star would change um, because the problem has changed. And so we would go through the same exercise again. Got it. And, and yes, and you started already explaining a little bit how do you track, how do you make decisions and what are the meeting rhythms, which is the Rockefeller habit number three, uh, having really in place those meeting rhythms that help you to keep tracking and learning as quicker as possible and making decisions and acting on, on the feedback that you, that you are seeing as, as a company, as a team. And of course, it's, it becomes much more complex when we have 50, 100, 200, 300 um, people. So that's why it's, it's so important to start those habits very early on uh, in the company because sometimes we think that going from two founders to, to 10, is, it's a lot of complexity that increases in the company. And usually we say, oh, this is the kind of thing that we should only do when we are 50 or 100. Uh, and usually it's too late because it's about uh, having habits. It's about us being part of the culture. Uh, and, uh, and that's, that's very interesting, this, uh, this point. So you were saying, how do you track the progress? You have um, a Friday evening meeting uh, where you communicate the North Star metric, and then you have the managers kind of reporting on the main KPIs that fit that North Star uh, metric. So the way it works is we have uh, a Friday evening um, kind of catch up, I guess, where everybody enters their KPIs and reports on them. We then have a, a monthly strategy meeting um, where we actually go through our uh, roadmap, our product roadmap, all the milestones that are coming up, um, the different teams give updates, um, and, and then we look at what are the priorities for the month uh, in keeping in mind how do we achieve the, the North Star that we're trying to achieve. Um, and then we have a kind of a quicker update meeting halfway through the month to see have, how have we performed against the objectives that we set ourselves. Are we on target? Is each department on target to meet those objectives? Or so does somebody need help? Or will something kind of not be done this month? Uh, and then the process repeats itself again the following month when we sit down and review the progress of the previous month, set out new objectives for the month, and then kind of go from there. Um, and uh, then we also have management meetings at the, uh, the moment they're happening pretty much once a week now um, when everybody sits down and then that's more of operational type of things. Um, so everything from, you know, Christmas holidays to, um, to, you know, where we are as a company, what, what's the next features we need to build and so on. Sounds, sounds perfect. And um... Yeah, also let, let's come to the Rockefeller habit number one. As we promised to the audience, we will only discuss this uh, free habits of, of the 10. Um, but I think that you should all go there and evaluate ourselves, yourselves towards and your teams towards the, um, the habits themselves, uh, which is about um, 
how do you assure that we have a healthy and aligned um, team? So here, uh, it would be more, much more interesting for, um, for the audience and also, uh, I, I assume for me, to see how you started building the puzzle of the, of, the, of the leadership team or evolving a little bit in this case, I think that's the stage you are in, evolving from the founding team yeah. to the leadership team. And so what were the positions? You, you said that you started with two people with business background, on your case with a PhD in psychology, and then you added another two founders and the initial co-founder uh, then left. So just when, uh, guide us through the different changes uh, in terms of evolving in the founding team and then evolving to have, uh, let's say, the, the first leadership team that, that yep. you are building now. Sure. Uh, so uh, indeed, we started with, with two people and then uh, we brought in uh, the so-called three Fs, the friends, family and fools uh, into the company. And uh, initially it was very much kind of my friends and, and then the, the family members um, and um, as, as kind of early employees. Um, and uh, about a year and a half into it, um, as we entered Techstars, um, or actually kind of as we exited Techstars, the, the, the leadership team changed quite right. a bit. And so the original co-founder left. And um, then at that point, we had um, Chris who joined us as the CTO and then James who joined as a data scientist. Um, and kind of that became the core team of, of data science um, and, um, and kind of the core founding team at that point. Um, and so, yeah, I was more responsible for the business development side of things. And then the Chris and James took over the, um, more of the, the tech side. And then the, the next, um, iteration of the leadership team probably happened. Um, I want to say about a year and a half later, um, as we started, so when we closed our seed round, essentially, um, that was the first time when we, let me think, yeah, when we, so right between the, the, the seed round, as, as we were going the seed round, we started looking for more people to join the company, but the leadership team remained pretty much the, the three of us. And it was at series A um, when we started looking for more senior talent. Um, and that's when we brought in, brought in a marketing director, a sales director, and then we also uh, promoted uh, one of the, well, the earliest employee that we had, Jorgen, kind of also to the strategy level. Um, and that's now where the, the team is. Now we also have a product manager now who is on that level. Um, and that's what the senior team has essentially become in the company. It's, uh, um, so product, uh, tech, uh, data, data science, R and D, um, strategy, sales, marketing, and then myself. And, and that's where the team is at today. Got it. And um, in terms of moving to Series B, and we will go through one of the topics that is always interesting, which are the lessons um, on, on the fundraising process uh, until now. So what do you think would be the next iteration until you get to Series B? Or let's, let me put you in a, in a more comfortable position uh, to not give any message inside. So what, what do you think is the next piece that might be missing in the puzzle? Um, so that, that's a good question. Uh, and I think at the moment we have the structure in place. Um, and I think um, given that we're a very flat organization still, um, I, I 
don't even think it's necessarily fair to kind of divide people into the senior team and then junior team and then so on, because it is still at the moment a very flat, flat organization. I think as we grow and there becomes more and more layers to it, um, we are going to start seeing um, kind of other areas that need to be taken over. Um, whether that's finance and accounting being separated or operational things is separated, um, that that's remains to be seen. Um, but I think in terms of um, being able to, to kind of scale, I think we're in a good, very good position right now. Uh, given that, you know, the company is 22, will grow to 24 people, um, the, that layer, the, the management layer is already seven. Um, that gives us quite a bit of growth still to be had before we have to think about um, scaling. And to be honest, my answer is um, is probably quite biased towards the fact that I don't really know <laughs> because I hadn't gone through this yet. Right. I can talk about what it's like to, to build a company up to Series A, um, but I can't necessarily tell you yet what it's like to build a company in that Series B. Yeah. I don't know what, what is the source, but I, the ideal team size, I think that's something is also... Uh, related with the with the PISA rule uh, should be five to seven. So which means that if you have that seven leaders in place, you can grow to 35 if you have teams of five or to 49 yeah. uh, if you have teams of um, seven. And of course, this is not linear because there are teams that have less people and teams that have more people. So yeah. there are usually uh, teams that are a little bit more stretched and need to have a middle management layer or a management layer earlier than other areas that maybe will not even need a management layer. Example, yeah. finance. Uh, does it make sense to have a too complex uh, financial organization in inside or to subcontract parts of the, of the process? So yeah, and let, let's get to very, very good questions and uh, very good answers, sorry. Uh, and uh, let's, let's get to uh, one of the final chapters or segments of, of the show, which is really, what were the main lessons? Uh, let's start by raising your seed round. So going through this uh, pre-seed, the accelerator program, getting to the seed round, friends, family, and fools. So how was that? Uh, how long did you start? What, what, we didn't ask this in the beginning. So when was the company founded? So we were founded in February of 2015. Got it. Uh, we entered Techstars, and so that, that was our first investment uh, in uh, June of 2016. So just uh, about a month and a, or a year and a bit. Uh, and we raised this and we closed our seed round in October of 2017. And then we closed our Series A round in January of 2019. Um, lessons learned. Um, I think the main one, so seed round was by far the hardest round to raise so far. Um, it, um, and I've thought a lot about this. So I, I had, and I was, I sometimes not anymore, not lately, but I used to look at the Trello board that I kept during that, uh, with all the meetings that I'm having and, and kind of the whole pipeline. And I, I had, um, close to 150 meetings um during wow. the the seed round and uh it was it was extremely tiring and i had i've spoken to investors from russia all the way down to silicon valley um so every country essentially every country in europe um and and beyond so it was a it was a very hard round to raise um and we ended up raising about a million euros um during it uh 
I, the lessons learned is that your seed round is going to be painful, um, or at least ours was, uh, and it will take a long time. And even though the Series A took maybe slightly less time, um, it, it, in real kind of months, it probably took the same six months. Um, so maybe seed round took like eight months. Um, but uh, it was it was the process because I was already familiar this with the process. the process that you when you start engaging with with investors actively looking for investment or already starting networking before uh, even thinking about that. So the, let's talk about the, yeah. So so if we're talking about seed round, um, so when TechStars ended, which was uh, September of 2016. Um, so we have big demo day, basically a kind of October 1st. Um, we weren't officially looking for money. So we, we kept saying, no, there's, you know, we were not fundraising. We might next year towards Q2 of next year and so on. But of course you have these meetings, you have follow-up meetings. And so even though you're not officially fundraising, right. you, you in effect are, you just pretending. The not to. Open. Yes. Uh, so we really kind of kicked that off in January um, and we closed in October. So, um, and we had an exceptionally difficult round. We had an investor who pulled out and we had, uh, um, you know, we, we, we got to our, to the actual term sheet quite early. It was April. So, you know, four months to get to our term sheet, but to actually close and find the rest of the money, it, it took a lot of time. Um, because essentially at that point, um, you don't have metrics. You you just don't. It, it becomes an exercise in in finding somebody who believes in you and convincing them, and that is just hard. That is difficult to do on a good day, and it's very very hard to do if you have no previous experience, you have no previous traction. Um, but it doesn't mean that it can't be done. It can be done, um, and uh, it, it really comes down to perseverance and just keep doing it um, over and over and over again. And so. Having 150 meetings, maybe that's on the high side, maybe not. But everybody I spoke to and, and our entire, entire Techstars cohort uh, also experienced very similar things. Um, so it, it's just a tough round to do. Uh, Series A was, was quite different. Uh, we started in middle of June of last year and we had a term sheet um, in August. Um, so very, very quick. Um, we had a lot of interest. We were actually oversubscribed. Um, it still took a while to close, um, just getting the legals and everything else. So it still took six months, but it was a very different um, journey and a very different experience. Um, again, different because at that stage, you already have something, you have the metrics. Um, and so it becomes a, a it becomes an exercise and you already have the connections. So the exercise becomes in presenting the company well, showing the growth, showing where you're going next, showing that you can get to that $100 million company in revenue eventually, and showing the path to that. And I suspect Series B will be, again, a very different experience. Um, and whether or not it will be hard or easy, I don't know. But again, um, it will be an exercise, not just in showing how you can get to a hundred million eventually, but actually having a credible path um, and um, showing the, the economics of your business and, and where you're at, how you're acquiring customers, how much does it cost? And really, um, can I have now, you know, 20 million or 50 million or whatever, however much you need to get you to the next level, then that gets you to the next level. Um, and, uh, and, and that's just, that's just how it is. It starts hard and then 
as you get more experience, as you get more connections, as people trust, you get more investors as well. Um, I, I think the one lesson I learned from our seed round that might be helpful to your listeners and viewers is that we actually went the um, we went corporate we went the uh, VC route right away. So for our seed round, we weren't looking for any angel investors. Uh, we went straight uh, looking for VCs or micro VCs or corporate VCs or anything like that. And so we had two very good investors early on, two, two VCs. Um, and when it came time to raise Series A, um, they both said, look, We're we want to follow on. Um, and so the conversation with the Series A investor was already, uh, look, I already have half the round committed. Um, and um, yes. would you like to come in? Um, and yeah. Um, and so that, that, that's a completely different conversations from I'm starting from scratch and, and, and you know, please give me some money to, to help build this company. Absolutely. And, and what you anticipate? Um, so there is this famous uh, SaaS napkin uh, put it together by Christoph Jens, the, one of the partners of uh, point, or founders of Point9 um, Capital, the VC based in, in Berlin, um, that says that we need to be able, in order to raise a Series A, to get around 1 million ARR and Series B, 5 million um, ARR. So, but of course, it depends always. This is really a SaaS napkin, some benchmarks. It depends a lot on the story, on on the specifics of the of the business model, on the strategy, on the on the founders, on the investors themselves. So, uh, what do you think are, of course, uh, can be some of the milestones that you need to prove on on a potential Series B. Um, uh, well, I, 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 so I, I don't necessarily agree with Series A. So I have definitely heard this. Um, so I, I, my view on the million ARR um, is that um, any VC that says we need to see a million ARR before we invest in you is not a Series A investor. That is, that is not a Series A. Um, just looking at where the company is at that moment in time, they can be very different. And uh, I was looking at this just the other day. It still to this day, about forty percent of all companies that raise Series A raise with no revenue. Um, and when I was speaking to to our investors, so forty percent uh, of all companies who raised Series A didn't have one million in there. No, not at all, not at all, and and we didn't, and and I don't think you need to. I think uh, it it depends. So I think if you're talking about a SaaS business um, that is B two C, maybe uh, maybe that's what you need. But on the enterprise side of things, I mean, one contract for us could be that entire amount, exactly. and and a, and a single contract is not going to tell anything to 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 the investor, right? Um, oh, good, you you were able to close Correct. one one bank, and it's and not you predictable, get... yeah. So, so it's, it's, it, it differs. It differs a lot. And I think uh, for B2B companies, especially the ones that, that have long sales cycles, um, the investors I spoke to um, have indicated that we were at that stage, even though we didn't have the 1 million, because we had done pilots, we showed uh, traction, we showed a healthy pipeline. Um, we showed, um, you know, the, the, be, the ability to have follow-on contracts and projects with with existing customers, um, and and that and, and that was that, um, and and the, for them it was a Series A um, stage company. Um, I think uh, so. That that's kind of 
that point because a lot of people get hung up on this one million. My, my personal view is, and I said this right from the beginning, any VC I go in and they say we need to see one million, I, I just, I, that's it. That's, that's a deal breaker um, because they're not thinking about the founders, they're not thinking about the company, they have these checklists um, that that's not how you should be investing in my view at, at that level. Um, at Series B, things change. I think um, at that point, you should be able to show um, growth. Um, less so, again, in, in terms of your actual numbers. And maybe for a SaaS B2B, B2C startup, um, you do need to have that $5 million. Um, but um, you need to start showing growth. You need to show, show growth in terms of, so you need to have enterprise-level contracts. Um, you should ideally be showing that that contract size is growing. Um, unless you have an annual contract, but kind of you're able to secure at least an annual contract with recurring revenue. Um, and, and ideally you show that it's growing month to month or year to year. Um, you have multiple clients. Um, I would say for if you were serving banks, it should be maybe five, um, five contracts um, that are signed and that are delivering uh, monthly recurring revenue. Um, and, and then you kind of go from there. And, and it's really, I think, important to show how you're going to convert those five into 500 eventually. Um, what is it that you need? And so it becomes also important to understand your customer acquisition costs. Um, and and you, you need to know what channels work and don't work. Um, so ideally, so that's what we're doing right now. We're testing a lot trying to figure out, you know, do we sell through marketing? Is it PPC? Should it be direct calls? Uh, which industries are, are buying us? Um, and ideally, you will have done all of those tests um, so that you can say, look, what really, what we found on our, based on our experience works is conferences, for example. And so next year, we need 10 million to go to these 100 conferences um, and for each conference, we're going to close two leads because that's what we were, we've been doing in the last six months. Um, and, and that's how we're going to get to that next stage. Um, it, it just becomes a different game. It becomes about showing that you can scale. Um, and then that's what you're raising the money for. And finding a channel that can move you to, to the next milestone. And then it's about finding additional channels or leveraging. Uh, that's right. I mean, there's only, there's only so many conferences in our example, right? So then it becomes, okay, I can't go to any more conferences or I can't sponsor anymore. What else? Um, and uh, ideally, eventually, as one of our investors pointed out the other day, 50% of your traffic becomes organic. Um, and that means referrals. That means your customers are sticky, low churn rate. Um, and, and, and then you're kind of off to, to, to grow um, and scale after that. So uh, I, I do believe that the, the game changes at each round. And so now it's, it's all about those metrics um, for, for a company to, to close. Seriously. And, and what do you think, and final question around uh, this topic, uh, what do you think is the pressure in terms of growth? Because there are a lot of companies who are who feel so we, we all feel a lot of pressure as, as founders to to get those benchmarks. And sometimes I think that we even ask more than what is did, needed from ourselves. Um, but there is this kind of expectation that we need to be growing 3x or at least. 2.5x to really be investable or at least interesting 
to shoot or even to choose the investors that we really want, not the ones who are available to, to invest uh, at the current metrics. What is your perception on that? Because I, I enjoyed and I, I've I had some inter interactions uh, with you so far and you can be very direct and this is something that I really enjoy and that's why I'm asking this question. <laughs> so, so, so what is the question? So good point, you see. <laughs> the, the question is, do you really feel that you need to kind of be able to get the, the, the free X, uh, 2.5 X to be on a momentum to raise series B or uh, there are other factors, as you were explaining, that might be uh, important as well. So it, it, it doesn't need to be a window of 18 months to get to Series B. Sometimes there is this rule of 18 months, so which means that after nine or 12 months, you raise the last round, you need to start working on the next one. And of course, you need to have metrics to start working on that round. So do I think that you need to get a 3x growth, whatever that Correct. means? Um, I, no, I mean, I, the, the reason I, it, it's hard to operate in these numbers, right? Uh, because what is 3X? So I have three customers and, and then they have three more and, and, you know, or three times more. So now I have nine. Does that mean I, so obviously there's a, there's a huge variety. I think your point, uh, the more interesting point here is you mentioned about investors that are available versus the ones you want. Um, and, and I think um, a lot of problems that we run into both as founders and, and human beings, is that we set these strange expectations for ourselves. So I want Andreessen Horowitz to invest in me, and in order to get them, I have to go 3x. And so the, the, the gravity doesn't apply to me anymore all of a sudden, or it can't in my case, I, but I have to achieve this. And then when you don't, when you raise money from somebody else, all of a sudden, you're considered to be you know, less than successful because you set that for yourself. Um, and, and so I, I, I think... Um, yes, if there's an, an investor that you really want, um, I, I think you need to check why you want them or what is the reason you want that particular investor because chances are their money is weighs exactly the same as anybody else. Uh, maybe they can open some doors or something like that. I don't know. But in general, you know, investors are quite similar. Um, and so why, right? And, and if there's no good reason, then instead of focusing on the 3x growth, build something that, that you're passionate about. Um, and, and let it grow, right? Let it grow in a natural way um, that, that, that you're comfortable with and that the world allows you to do. There's no point in burning more money. Um, and I know some companies do this where they will throw a lot of money at marketing just to see that, achieve that 3x growth, just to go and raise that round. And then, and then you raise all that money and you realize that that channel doesn't work. Yes, it worked when you burned 100K in a month through it, but it doesn't actually work in the long run. So what, what have you done? So to me, um, and this is what we're trying to do here, is, is build a company that, uh, that is exciting, that people like working that, uh, in, that, that is really delivering something of value to, to customers in the hopes that the customers that we're serving um, and the feedback that we're getting is useful and, and it's, it, people are using it and they're enjoying it. Um, and then whether it ends up being a 3x growth, a 2x growth, 100% growth, whatever that is, um, that would be my job then to, to make sure that we have the appropriate and the right investors to support us on the journey that, that we're going on. Got it. Uh, again, <laughs> your answer and super specific to the, straight to the point. So we are coming to, to the end of the show just to quickly uh, recap. Uh, we went through one of the 
main or one of the main formulas of scaling up, which is to assure that we have the right people on the right seats. We discuss that the structure of the team, uh, focuses on the right priorities. We discuss it how to define the OKRs, uh, executing those at the right pace. We discuss it the meeting rhythms, and of course, with appropriate cash flow to get to the next milestone. And that's why we are discussing cash and fundraising and what are the right investors to go with you in, in that journey. And in summary, we covered three of the 10 Rockefeller um, habits and uh, the amazing experience with of Igor, uh, CEO at Batasign. And final question that we always ask in the show, which is if you would have the opportunity to get back, let me see my uh, notes to February 2015, uh, and you would have the opportunity to catch up with your younger self, what would you tell him or what would be your one single piece of advice that you give to the Igor version February 2015? Uh, I, I would say that it will take longer than, everything will take longer than, than expected. Um, and um, I would tell him to hang in there. Um, that that it, it does, for the most part, work out as it should. Um, it's not always the way you want, but uh, it works out as it should. And so, um, but it will take time. Pa patience. I think um, get more patience. It's, it's, it's one of the hardest things that I still struggle with. I want everything and now um, and uh, learn, learn to be patient, I, I think, is the, is the number one lesson that I would try to impart. That's, that's awesome. So Igor, thank you so much for, for joining us and for the commitment, the time, the preparation, everything to share your uh, journey uh, with our listeners. You are always invited to come back to the show. We love to have the, our guests coming in different moments of the scale-up process. And, and we expect to have you soon to tell us how did you get to Series B and to Series C and to IPO uh, or even uh, later. So thank you again. Thank you very much, Mike. And thank you so much for organizing this and, and uh, for all your time and for the great questions. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. So, and closing the show, uh, thank you so much also for you for being on that side, being live or later, uh, getting to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, we try to have it available in all channels possible so you can use the channel that works better, best to you. Uh, this is the show where we interview the best tech leaders uh, around how they are scaling up their businesses from scratch to 100 million, uh, which is our obsession uh, as faster as, as possible. And yeah, see you soon. Uh, as you know, you have different episodes, the CEO one-on-one -on -one interviews, also product panels, engineering panels, sales panels, uh, with companies from San Francisco, New York, London, Berlin, Paris, Singapore, um, sharing their scaling up journeys. So see you soon and thanks so much for, for joining. Thank you. Thank you.